Welcome to Rainbow Turtle Rebooted. This is a podcast series about fair trade and the people involved in it. It is brought to you by Rainbow Turtle, the fair trade shop and charity based in Scotland. Welcome to episode 10 of the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted podcast. We're doing something different this time. This is sort of a throwback to 2016 when our then education officer Josh Brown started up the podcast. Those episodes were lost and they've now been found. So we're going to do a bit of going back in time to February 2016 when Josh set up the original podcast. He starts out by chatting to our then founder Liz Cotton who was speaking to school pupils. Then he goes on to chat to various folk at the Scottish Fair Trade Forum AGM, talks to Ross Beatty, one of our staff at Rainbow Turtle then, on about uh, fair trade in Uzbekistan, has a quick chat with Lindsay, our office manager uh, in the Rainbow Turtle office, and then finally talks to Howard Msakwa, a rice farmer from Malawi. So I hope you enjoy this bit of history and look out for future episodes of the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted podcast. first episode of our podcast I've come to the east side of Glasgow and I'm on an allotment site there are about 80 80 or so plots in the background you can probably hear a mixture of the birds but perhaps a distant uh, rumble of traffic as well there's a motorway nearby the motorway was built a few years ago and threatened to get rid of all the allotments actually but the local people uh, made sure that that didn't happen and so now we have um, flowers, so you've got dahlias, hollyhocks, uh, lupins, but then you've also got all the fruit and veg as well, so potatoes, raspberries, all sorts of soft fruits, uh, loads of fruit trees, lots of cabbages, broccolis and leafy greens at the moment. There's not anywhere near as many allotments as there were uh, when my grandfathers were alive, and just in that short time, two or three generations, the way that we consume food has completely changed. But not only food, other products as well. The way we, the way we, my, my granddad's first job was in a boot factory, sticking the heels onto boots. Now you'd struggle to find too many boot factories now in the UK. So the way that we live is completely different now. So as I stand here sipping my Colombian fair trade coffee, what has all this got to do with fair trade? Well, a lot more than you might think. 
We now live in a world where virtually everything we eat, wear, consume has had some contact with other parts of the world and other people around the world. You cannot ignore the fact that we are now more connected with the rest of the world than we ever have been, not only in terms of technology, but in terms of responsibility as well. So what's the answer then? Well, the purpose of this podcast, not just this episode, but the whole series, will be to look at fair trade, look at the ways that we consume food, where it comes from, look at where our clothes come from, look at the industries that have closed here. We're going to join the dots between farmers in Malawi who grow our rice, but yet don't have enough food to have breakfast before they go off to work, and between the ever-increasing number of people here in the UK who rely on food banks to feed their families each week. There is a connection, and we're going to explore that throughout these podcasts. Anyway, I finished my coffee. That's enough from me. From the sunny allotments here in the east of Glasgow, I hope you enjoy the first ever Rainbow Turtle Fair Trade Podcast. Hi, my name's Colm Scriven, and you're listening to the Rainbow Turtle Fair Trade Podcast. Is Chief Turtle Liz Cotton. Most of you probably know about Rainbow Turtle. We, we sort of have come about by a whole series of um, fortunate accidents, shall we say. She's <laughs> talking to pupils from Greif High, St Paul's Primary and Foxbar, and local MPs, Mari Black and Gavin Newland. When I first moved to Paisley, there were people already doing fair, selling fair trade products around the place, like Maureen and uh, various other people in their churches, in their schools, wherever. And, and I just happened to arrive here and start selling fair trade stuff for Tradecraft and became a Tradecraft fair trader. And it was because of all the other people that were, were already working away and we sort of got together and the whole thing grew quite a lot um, and just sort of took over a little bit. So we ended up um, with rooms upstairs in the church here um, to store all the, the goods that we seem to have amassed and were taking over my house. And um, so a couple of friends got involved and we, we moved in upstairs in the church. And it just so happened at that point that this shop became vacant. I know we must have had about 30 people at the time that came and said, yes, we want to help, we want to volunteer, we want to support. And we still got about 30 volunteers on our books, some of whom have been with us right from the very beginning. Some have sort of retired for about the third time and are not coming <laughs> back. Um, but many more are still coming through. So people who we talked to at their primary schools are now grown up or have never known life without the fair trade mark because they were born since the fair trade mark came into existence, and, which is really gratifying when people come in and say, you came and talked to me at my school when I was six and, uh, and are now sort of volunteering in the shop. The shop is really what you see. This is what people see when they come down the high street. But where we're going next is to our warehouse, which we share with JTS. So they're more of an importing organisation, um, so they import goods, whereas what we do is uh, ship goods out again. We support churches, we support schools, and campaign within the Paisley Fairtrade Town, Renfrewshire Fairtrade Zone, and, and the Scottish Fairtrade Nation campaign. So we're involved in all of that, so it takes... It's hard to run the business when you're doing a lot of extra campaigning sort of things on the side, but we, we end up um, doing all of these things, it's really a family of volunteers and people and 
and supporters who keep it going and particularly the customers as well. We have uh, amazing customers who come in all the time. I'm Mary Black and you're listening to the Rainbow Turtle Fairtrade Podcast. recently attended the Scottish Fair Trade Forum's AGM and spoke to some long-standing campaigners and asked them to tell me about fair trade. Hi, I'm Sophie. I'm the Community Engagement Officer for the Scottish Fair Trade Forum. I would say that fair trade is a way that lots of determined people around the world are trying to make sure that everyone who grows something or sells something gets paid a fair wage in safe conditions when they do so because although it might seem strange, um, the world is actually very unfair and lots of people are treated very badly. I think we're at a point now with fair trade where we've got what the Fair Trade Foundation called the fair trade generation, where there's been such a, a good amount of work done in schools that now most children who've been to primary school in the last 10 years will recognise the fair trade mark. But in a way, familiarity breeds contempt, isn't that the saying? But it's not contempt, but people think because they know about it and recognise it and have never been part of their campaigning, they think the battle's won, whereas actually it's far from over. And that's, I think, it's making sure that we do keep campaigning, like we talked about today, and making sure that's at the heart and that there isn't a, there's still a goal to make fair trade should be the only trade rather than a side sort of... Um, trade and we need to make it fully mainstream and keep pressing for that rather than it being a sort of niche product and I think that's one of the biggest challenges over the next few years. Hey, my name's Christine Emmett and I'm principal teacher at St Elizabeth's Primary School in Hamilton. It's really just a, it's a help, it's a very big help, it's a global help, it helps everyone. At the minute I think we have to be fair to our own local farmers and from there I think we have to get children involved more and then I think we have to boycott but uh, lobby the supermarkets and get them to get more fair trade on the shelves because sadly in the last few years I think it's starting to dwindle. It's not as prominent as it used to be. The big boys have tended to go to get it in and uh, the local small local producers are way, way put to the back of the shelves. So I would like to encourage my children tomorrow's producers, uh, consumers rather, to try and move that forward. Uh, Barbara Slater from College Development Network. It's about respect for the for the contribution that everyone makes in the, in their lives and in their work. It exists because we have so much inequality in the world, and we're we're trying to address that. I'm Angela Oakley. I'm from Eastern Bartonshire, where I'm the chair of the Eastern Bartonshire Fair Trade Group. Um, I'm here today as a volunteer with the Scottish Fair Trade Forum because I volunteer as a schools advisor with the Scottish Fair Trade Forum. Well, quite often I have to describe fair trade to children in school. Um, they don't need much um, to know what's fair and what's not fair. I think we all know what's fair and what's not fair. Trade is exchanging things, so it's the, the fair exchange of goods um, which we use to lift people out of poverty. Um, it, it encompasses things like sustainability, equality, um, environmental protection. The biggest obstacle is the pace of change. We're just not going fast enough. We just um, seem to be swimming against the tide as we try try to bring fairness and justice into trading systems. The one of the biggest ones is is getting people to buy fair trade, um, and um, the other is the power of the big corporations who are in it for profit, not people and planet. My favourite 
product, of course, would be chocolate, but I also like the Cool Schools um, Fairtrade cotton schoolwear. Cool Schools use Fairtrade cotton from India, and they stitch up in Mauritius in a sweatshop-free factory. It's not just um, Fairtrade grown, it's also Fairtrade sewn. Let's leave the AGM for a while and find out some more about cotton producers in Uzbekistan. As Rainbow Turtle's education officer, I spend a lot of time each month doing research and I often stumble across things I didn't know. So here's Ross with our very first Did You Know? very first did you know we're looking at Uzbekistan or more specifically its cotton farming. Uzbekistan is one of the world's seven stands and sits in Central Asia bordered by five of the others Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan and Turkmenistan. It's got a population of around 31 million that's about half of the UK's and has vast areas of desert. A lot of the land that isn't desert is used for cotton farming and the country is the second largest cotton exporter in the world, providing countries like China and Bangladesh with much of their supply. Cotton is of course not just using the clothes we wear, but the bags and towels and curtains and cushion covers and gloves and, well, lots of other things. So it's surprising how little most of us know about where it comes from and how it gets to us. We even use the stuff to wipe makeup off our faces and to clean out our ears. I said we even use the stuff to clean out our ears. Ah, that's better. Often when we think of cotton products and fair trade, we think of the people that made the products, so the people that sewed our t-shirts, trousers or skirts together. But there are many, many farmers and workers that grow and produce the cotton too, long before it even gets to the factories and is turned into clothes or curtains. In Uzbekistan, cotton farming is controlled by the government, and most of the labour is provided by adults forced to work during the harvesting months. They're threatened with penalties, fines, loss of benefits, loss of jobs, and, for some older children, expulsion from school. Until very recently, young children were also forced to work, and their schools would get funds based on how hard they worked. International campaigning and protests have changed that, though it seems it may still go on in parts of the country. There are also lots of environmental issues too. For years now, the ROC has been used to supply water for farming, and it's now less than half the size it was back in the 1960s. As well as this, the pesticides used have caused a lot of environmental damage and there are high levels of salt left in the soil as a result of the seawater being used for farming. Pesticides also cause health problems for farmers and workers as they do in many countries around the world. So, apart from knowing about it and telling your friends or doing your own research, what can you do to make a difference? A great place to start is the Cotton Campaign website. www.cottoncampaign.org there are lots of other easy things you can do. You can write letters or emails asking companies why they use cotton that isn't fairly traded, that isn't organically or safely farmed. You can encourage your school or your business to buy fair trade uniforms. You can join campaigns and sign petitions. These do make a difference, and there are fewer school-aged children working in cotton production as a result of campaigning. You can buy fewer things, or even better, nothing from big companies that exploit these farmers. And we can all think carefully about what we buy and where we buy it. There are more and more companies supporting fair ways of working, proving that it is possible to combine business and fairness. So hunt them down and tell your friends about them. 
For more information on this and many other issues, visit our ever-expanding website, www.rainbowtartle.org.uk. My name is Lindsay and you're listening to the Rainbow Turtle Fair Trade Podcast. Okay, so here we are in the uh, the office. This is the centre of the Rainbow Turtle universe. Lindsay, what's a typical day like for you in Rainbow Turtle? Is there a typical day? Well, this is not really a typical day today because we're quite quiet just now, but during our mad periods, Fair Trade Fortnight Christmas... It can be pretty hectic. You can be doing anything from packing boxes to, you know, sending letters, answering the telephone, booking in sale of return stalls is a massive part of my job, for especially during these times. Um, the quiet times just now, it's just a case of trying to catch up on things like all the really, really boring stuff like data entry, that kind of stuff, which is what I'm doing just now. Um, what's your favourite fair trade product? Oh, probably... At the moment, it changes all the time, but at the moment, I'm addicted to the quinoa. It's an express quinoa, so it's really good for lunches. You just bung it in my crave for 90 seconds and hey presto. So we get that from Tradecraft. And what's your favourite memory of working with Rainbow Turtles so far? Um, probably the things that, that stay in my heart is when we have producer visits. Um, last year we had Fonshow, the banana farmer, over for Fair Trade Fortnight. He was really fun. The kids loved him. They were getting his autograph, and that was good. What made you want to work for Rainbow Turtle? What's made me stay in the job is the fact of what we do. You know that the people we help, and you know it's really important what we do, and I enjoy that. It's more than just a job to me. Rainbow Turtle isn't just my job now; it's my life. So here I am now in our warehouse. Uh, we share the warehouse with JTS, uh, also known as Just Trading Scotland, and I am surrounded by thousands of kilograms of Malawian rice. A few weeks ago, we were lucky enough to have a visit from Howard Musukwa from Malawi. He's a rice farmer, and we got him together with some of the local school children, and he got to tell us about what a day is like for him in Malawi. I live in the northern part of Malawi, in the district called, uh, known as Karonga. Uh, I am a smallholder farmer. I live in a village, and the leader of the village is known as the village head, the village headman. Uh, most of the houses of the smallholder farmers are made of uh, wood smeared with mud, and grass, grass thatched. But uh, there are some farmers who have uh, houses uh, made of bent bricks and iron sheets. Normally, we live in extended families. So uh, a father and mother plus other relatives would live in the same house. Yeah, it's quite enjoyable because that's uh, how we, we, we know it. Was, uh, for example, you, you find uh, I live with uh, my sister's children, maybe my uncle's children, uh, because they have some problems to live with their parents, so they see it easier to live with me. I have to accept to live with them, and uh, that's part of our culture anyway. 
as I said earlier, uh, we are farmers. So our main work is uh, on the farm. We, we, we have to wake up at around 3 a.m. when it is uh, a bit cool, uh, go to the fields, start working on the fields. Then uh, we have a break at around 10 a.m. And then uh, go back around 2 p.m. and then come, come, come home around 5. What makes us uh, do all this is because temperatures in Karonga are very high. We usually work uh, on the fields when the temperatures are above 35 degrees Celsius. We, we actually feel very tired. But uh, you would imagine uh, waking up at uh, 3, doing the job all day, and then you go to bed at around 9 p.m., pretty sure knowing that when it will be 3 a.m., you have to be on your way to the field. It's uh, not very enjoyable. It's tiresome, but uh, we have no out. You have to do that. Uh, children have to go to school, so children have to wake up a bit later at uh, around 5 so that they clean the place, they sweep the house before they go to school. That's the end of the first half of our very first episode. We'll have more from Howard in part two, plus Mari Black and Gavin Newlands, and pupils from Grife High, St Paul's Primary, and our very own quickfire guides to the Millennium and Sustainable Development Goals. I hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane, which was six years ago now, goodness. So we're going to be following that up fairly soon with part two of Josh's first episode of the podcast. And he's going to go on and interview further Howard Masakwa and our MP at the time, Mary Blank. So look out for the next episode and thanks for joining me in this one. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to our series and better still rate our podcast and leave us a comment. Also, tell your friends! A wee thanks to Patrick Quinn for his piece of music, Dr Anne and her books, and to Patrick and Maureen Quinn for playing so beautifully. We'll see you further on. Cheerio!